Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark. And we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. And a Good Theological Thursday to all of you. Uh, We are happy to have you joining in on the podcast for season four, episode number 10. Uh, If you've been following along closely, uh, maybe you aren't or you might be getting this episode and catching up. But if you've you've been following along um, kind of as we record these things, uh, we did just take a couple weeks off um, for uh, the Evangelical Theological Society conference uh, that was all online, um, which was as many things. 2020 was uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, And then um, Thanksgiving break as well. But. We're happy to be back. Um, uh, We're going to be talking today a little bit about uh, should we read the Bible as one narrative? Is the Bible telling one story? So uh, this episode is going to focus a lot on how we should read the Bible. But uh, Dre, uh, before we get into that, I'm curious, uh, were you able to participate any in the Evangelical Theological Society Conference? If so, uh, any papers or any presentations you heard that uh stuck out to you from the week yeah so uh i did i was able to uh attend online and so it was really weird this year because you had the professors uh, or the people around the world kind of prepare their papers mm-hmm. and then they recorded right. them and then you had like these discussions around it so i really enjoyed where there is these like recorded live i didn't watch any of them live i watched them all afterwards with these like Mm-hmm. I don't know. They were like Zoom calls where it was with all the papers. And so what that did is it kind of gave me an overview. Then it was like, oh, I actually watched that first. Then I went back and dove into the papers that I thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I went to a couple of those. And so um, one of the ones that I was most interested in was topics in biblical sexuality. And so this was one by a lot of my professors from Dallas Seminary. And so I was really uh, curious to kind of see where they were. But then I watched uh, some, like Daryl uh, Bach had some on uh, theology for human flourishing. And so there's a lot of mm-hmm. talk about stewardship. I went to a biblical worship one. I went to a worship and homiletics one talking about kind of where worship's at today. I did a, uh, I did some Old Testament theology, you know, on Jephthah. I'm always interested in Jephthah's story. And uh, and I also yeah. did some bioethic ones. That was kind of how I ended it. So I didn't, I didn't hit a whole bunch, like if I was actually there, but I definitely hit some cool topics. Uh, and uh, really enjoyed it. So it was it was some good stuff. What about you, man? Did you, did you get to go to any of them? Yeah, you know, I didn't go um, to any of the like the Q and A's. Uh, I did um, listen to quite a few papers. I, I was mainly, um, you know, obviously I was mainly looking at. I, I tried to basically catch all the papers on Ephesians and Colossians because mm-hmm. that's where my uh, doctoral research is. So um, just seeing what discussions were being had. And there were a few here and there. Um, there was one on, uh, it was looking at, um, epigraphal evidence and how it helps us interpret fullness in Ephesians. And what mm-hmm. I mean by those listening, epigraphal evidence, we're talking about, um, basically text written in old, like in this case, written in old archeological contracts in Ephesus. Um, yeah, kind of things like that, uh, or maybe stuff written on walls, stuff written on tablets, things like that. And so, um, that was pretty interesting. That was pretty interesting little paper. Um, you know, uh, some of that stuff, I don't know. I'm not the best in like archeology, span uh, but that was kind of interesting. There was a couple linguistic type papers I looked at. Um, 
which I always admire just anyone who can do uh, ling- linguistic work like that. Like one was yeah. uh, I'm looking at the pragmatic structure of Colossians and Paul's ultimate commutative intent. Um, it was kind of just look, taking a rhetorical look at Colossians. Uh, there was another one uh, by Guy. He he was talking about ex- it was titled exegeting phrase level parataxis as a grammatic unit Colossians 2.16 for a test case um, which I'm not going to get into all what all that means but you know uh, it, but I, I will say that guy was actually pretty helpful like some of those linguistic papers um, my wife actually asked me he's like do you always follow what these people are saying in their papers and like for the most part yeah, yeah. I know enough um, there are times where they're talking about a subject I know so little about that it's like, okay, I, I'm not catching much. Um, and linguistics can be that way, although this guy was helpful because I will say the one thing that was helpful with this, with these guys pre-recording their papers, is some of them were using like PowerPoint presentations yeah. and just and showing it. And like so like this guy specifically was very detailed in this PowerPoint presentation, mm-hmm. covering his main points, showing you key examples of what he was talking about. It was much easier to follow what he was saying. And so, um, you know, I always say I come away from those conferences and I always say, uh, you know, those conferences can also just be humbling because you realize how many smart people there are out there. Yeah. Um, people smarter than me and uh, and the type of work that people are doing and that they spend time doing. And so, um, but yeah, it was I, I would much rather be there in person, uh, but it was nice to listen in on some papers. I know they've got all the recorded papers still out there. In fact, yeah. I think we just got an email today about that. And so yeah. there's a couple more, there's a couple more I want to go listen to, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think what's cool about it is, you know, I know that the ETS, it's kind of a boring thing. My, my wife went with me even uh, last year to it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's encouraging to know that, that our faith is, is not something that is just uh folklore. It's not something that yeah. doesn't engage. And so one thing that I love about the ETS is that, it really does show you like, hey, there's there's some serious scholarship um, happening here. And so my challenge is, is maybe, you know, for our average listener, you know, that it, ETS kind of material is going to be a little bit above and beyond probably where you're ever at. But if you're in ministry at all, you know, maybe maybe consider going next year, maybe consider kind of jumping into that world some more. A lot of conferences that my friends go to are great conferences, but they're very pragmatic. Um, and so if you mm-hmm. really want to go deeper, if you really want to be involved um, in your own spiritual growth, I mean, I think it's a great place because it is it is evangelicals coming together and they really are keeping up with mm-hmm. some major issues that are about to hit the church that really are, mm-hmm. are, are things that are being talked about that students when they go off to college, right, or students whenever they Google and they want to know how to attack Christianity, they want to know a question like these are some of the things that that other other people are pulling from. And so this kind of is a way to say almost an apologetic way of saying, Hey, there's, there's stuff going on out here and there's uh, more to your faith than what you could ever imagine. It's so much deeper and tap mm-hmm. into that story. So and that's just kind of my shout out to ETS. I, I've loved going. Um, I think it was really beneficial yeah. even this year. I mean, I, it was just good to kind of see where everything's at and, and kind of watch mm-hmm. people talk about it and see, Hey, there's a, there's a world beyond, you know, especially me in student ministry sometimes, you know, beyond middle school <laughs> understandings, like there's a lot more out there. So yeah. anyways, I'll also add, I think it's important to understand, you know, a lot of us, a lot of people won't get into deep academia and I don't think everyone's called to do that, but it's important to understand a lot of our culture um, is influenced by academia itself. Yeah. I mean, think, think of it this way. 
um, the early Greeks were influenced. Who were when we think of the early Greeks uh, before Christ? Who are some really common figures we think of when we think of Aristotle, Plato, mm-hmm. um, Socrates? I'm quoting from the Princess Bride now, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we we think of these guys, right? And but they were the academics of their day, mm-hmm. and yeah. these guys had significant impact on Greek culture. And I would I would suggest that a lot of things you'll see in culture um, come from academia. And so what you get with ETS is you get um, confronting real cultural issues at their at their intellectual core. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's another just really good benefit of it. Um, I mean, we wouldn't be and, here. Yeah. We, we wouldn't be in the church today if it wasn't for academics, you know, that will. Yeah. I mean, and so. You, you can't just you can't just dismiss it, and, and if especially today, if I think the church is really entering into a new period, we're in a post-Christian, post-modern worldview. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like everything we've been building on; a lot of it's been knocked out from underneath it. And so, how mm-hmm. do you rebuild that foundation? It's what you're saying. You got to kind of turn to some of these guys because that's how it's always been built. Um, it's always mm-hmm. been people that have taken what what has been faithfully transmitted in 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 converting it into modern language and converting it into in addressing modern questions and saying, hey, the Bible is our source, but now we've got to address different questions. I mean, that's how we get all of the doctrines of the church, um, and mm-hmm. it's how we have our Bible. So. I think it's uh, yeah. for some people, it's not for everybody, but I do think it is for everybody in that sense. Um, and so if you're if you're out yeah. there, you know, just know that that world exists and know that whenever pastors get up on stages, hopefully that those guys are um, in tune a little bit or know that they were trained by guys who were and that we stand on a very firm foundation. It's encouraging yeah. for me. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Well, Dre, let's go ahead and uh, get into our episode of the day. Yeah. Um uh, we probably took a little more of a sidetrack there than we expected, but um, yeah, we'll skip book reviews this week and we'll just jump into the episode. How about that? There that was, go. There's yeah. our book there we recommendation. Go. We, for we, you. we reviewed the Evangelical Theological Society conference, <laughs> um, so everyone was um, waiting cool. for that. They just love that. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right. So, um, yeah. So, Dre, our topic today, uh, you know, we're asking a bigger question. Um, I, I think we've titled this episode, Is the Bible Telling One Story? Mm-hmm. Um, another way to state this question is, should we read the Bible as one narrative? And uh, so, yeah, this this gets to a bigger question of, obviously, how do we read the Bible? It gets into question of hermeneutics, that is, how are we interpreting the Bible? Um, how do we read Old Testament versus New Testament? It, it, it brings up a lot of different things. Um, so... It's a big question. Uh, so, Dre, where do, you, where do you think we should start? Yeah, I think that I think the way that we start is really understanding the question a little bit better. Um, I, I literally have had this conversation with a couple of people uh, in the last month or so. Uh, but I think I think that I think the question really is this: um, if if I pick up any uh, book of the Bible, right, is it basically saying the same thing? Um, I, I think mm-hmm. even a better example is let's look at Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, these are called the Synoptic Gospels. And uh, mm-hmm. they share, I think, over probably 70 percent of material, probably even more than that. Um, I know that, you know, Mark alone is, you know, probably 90 something percent, uh, you know, duplicate. And so you look at some of these things and you see a story or a parable or, you know, take the take the the, you know, the cross, the Jesus at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper scene. Like you get these in all these accounts. Uh, are they is, are they all saying the same thing? Does it matter? Are they written? Like, I think part of behind this question is. You know, if, if there's just one story, why do we have all of these books? Um, if there's just one mm-hmm. story, 
Um, or what, what's connecting all these books? What's connecting all 66 of these different stories? Is it the same story and, and kind of understanding really the nature of the Bible? I think that's behind this question. Um, is that a fair place to start, James, and kind of understanding, you know, what, what does it mean to have these 66 books and how do they interplay? How are they the same and how are they different? I think that's maybe the question behind the question. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree. Um, you know, I, I think some of the questions that come up here are, um, and maybe it's it's even a question of, well, you know, the larger question, it could even lead to a question of what books of the Bible are relevant for me, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we start to ask the question, is the Old Testament relevant? Yeah. Uh, you know, are the books, of is, is numbers uh, relevant to me? Um, yeah. Or is Leviticus, Levitical law, you know, how how is that relevant? Um or because, um, you know, if you, you start coming to decisions, some of these things aren't relevant, then you maybe get to this um, whole point where, um, to quote a pastor who I shall not name, who once <laughs> said, uh, we should unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. Right. So this mm-hmm. these are the these are the bigger questions we're asking. Um, and even how do we. It also makes a better question. I mean, we talked a little bit um, a couple of weeks ago about the idea of how ancient cultural context affects our reading of scripture. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's even like reading the old Testament, like how would someone who lived in the old Testament time read the old Testament, but then how do we go back and read it now? And do we read it differently? Um, And our, our, our interpretations between those, between the two people in those timeframes, are they completely different or is the, was the Bible always actually telling one story that someone just missed? Yeah. Um, so th- those are kind of those big questions uh, that get involved here. Yeah, and I, I think so. Just for your own kind of understanding, the the way that the that scholars talk about this is with the language of continuity versus discontinuity. Um, mm-hmm. So so another another thing, and I don't think we're going to try to hit this too much today, but but really depending on how much of how much you see one story in the Bible versus how much you don't see one story in the Bible, uh, really mm-hmm. will pick a lot of your, um, you probably the domination you're in definitely your theology. Um, it really is a, a pretty important question too. Um, and so I don't think it's just as simple as every story leads to Jesus or every story is about Jesus. Um, and I think that it's a little bit more complex than that of what that means because, that really is the, the 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 issue that a lot of people have wrestled with for really thousands of years is is how much how much of the Old Testament how, how much how much continues how much is there one story how much is there disunity how much is there uh, spots where this was what it was then and it's not there today and so like Leviticus is a good example I mean am I not allowed to wear multiple clothings or is it all the same story and is everything about the same thing um, so mm-hmm. that that's a lot of preface to the question and so uh, James. Pretty, pretty simple uh, kind of concept today we're introducing, but how do you want to answer it? How do you want to start about talking about this? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the way you and I both would approach this question is there. there's a yes and no component to it. So let's talk about authorship of scripture in general, um, right? Right, you have multiple human authors involved yeah. in writing the scriptures, Um the New Testament, it's even clearer, it's even a little more clear who wrote the books of the New Testament than even the Old Testament. The Old Testament, you've got, um, you know, like you've got the Psalter and, you know, you probably have, you know, David didn't write all 150 Psalms. So there was other people <laughs> contributing to the Psalter, right? Or even Proverbs, you have 
um, uh, you know, the latter part of Proverbs, like some of these work from Solomon or you've, or you've got, um, you, you know, even the, the Pentateuch and, you know, who wrote all the Pentateuch? Is it just Moses wrote it or do we have what Moses wrote or was there editors involved? Like what's going on there? And so even the question of authorship is, is, um, is pretty complicated in many aspects, but let's just say we have multiple human authors involved, um, but I think, again, the thing to remember and, you know, what we would hold to, um, our theology um, dictates that there is a divine author guiding all of this. Yeah. Who, you know, Peter says, um, men spoke in times past as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Indication is, is and we, we would believe in, you know, I would describe it as uh, the term to use would be verbal plenary inspiration. That is that God... Um, directed mm-hmm. guided the right of scripture um what was written was what he wanted written but at the same time he didn't dictate it in other words it wasn't like these authors were secretaries and yeah. god just directly said this is what you're going to write he m- used human personality uh, you read uh just new testament example you read paul how paul writes how james writes how peter writes all these guys write differently uh you brought the synoptic gospels so that's that's what you see you see Unity and diversity, mm-hmm. um, even within the Gospels itself. So, I, you know, we, we talk about as continuity and discontinuity. Um, I would say there's unity and diversity yeah. um, within Scripture. In other words, I, I do think there is um, continuity. I don't think Scripture is contradicting itself. Um, but there is some diversity in how Scripture speaks. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts there, Dre? Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're hitting on it. Um, I, I think that to go to one extreme and say that that there's that everything is just you know the exact kind of same vanilla, I think that would be a very very massive understatement. I mean, whenever I whenever you read, um, let's just take the Gospels. Whenever I read Matthew, Matthew is not Mark. Um, I can't mm-hmm. just take a story in Matthew and then go to the same story that's in Mark and say, oh, it's the exact same story. Um, the, mm-hmm. the authors are, they're pretty brilliant writers. They're doing different things. They've got a different, completely mm-hmm. different purpose for writing their books. Um, mm-hmm. and because yeah. of those purposes, that means every, if I have a different purpose for writing the book, right, even though there may be things that are similar, the reason I'm saying those things is for a completely different purpose. And so, mm-hmm. I, so that ideally that means whenever I'm preaching a, 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 a section in Matthew or a section in Mark, if I'm preaching that section that appears in both, it should come out mm-hmm. completely different as far as the purpose, because these are two different dudes writing with two different things. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's kind of been underplayed. I think sometimes we just Google, you know, the passage and we're saying, oh, I found it in Matthew or was it in Luke or it doesn't matter. Let's just use them both and let's talk about this event. Um, I think that destroys some of the the, the character, uh, some of the authorship that's in there. Um, but at the mm-hmm. same time, what's beautiful about it is that it all interconnects that you have, mm-hmm. you have Matthew writing, right. And he's talking about his genealogy and it connects all the way back to these stories that are in the old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so you get Ruth and Obed inside of Matthew's genealogy and you go back to Ruth and Ruth looks nothing like Matthew. The, even the use of a genealogy is completely different at the end of Ruth, the beginning of Matthew. And, and so they're, they're connected. There's diversity, but but the way the stories read and and even the language they're written in um, is different. Uh, even from the Greek yeah. side, if you kind of unveil it, right? Like uh, like John is really easy to read in Greek, and mm-hmm. um, and you know Paul and Romans is not easy to read in Greek. And so mm-hmm. so just from that, you can say like, okay, these are completely different peoples with different approaches, uh, but yet yeah. somehow 
God was was overseeding or he was interceding through all of it. Um, and, and I don't know the way in which that happened or how it happened, but but there's still this unity of truth that's there. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's actually an affirmation to why these stories are true because um, they are unique perspectives, but yet they do connect to the one giant story that's all the way back from, you know, ancient, ancient times with Genesis. Yeah. I, you know, another place where this comes up is even how the New Testament uh, authors are reading back into the Old Testament and reading some Old Testament prophecies. Because you'll see, um, you'll see, uh, you know, for example, Matthew will do this and he'll quote um, in certain places where mm-hmm. he'll, he'll say something to the effect of this was done so that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he'll talk about um, a certain passage. And then you go read that passage and you're like, well, that passage doesn't even look prophetic at all. Like it, it seems like, it, you know, that, that's not even like a, the most prophetic passage. Um, a good example of this, even the new Testament is how Psalm 110 is read. And so if you go, if you just read Psalm 110 by itself, which is, um, where da- it's a Davidic royal psalm where David writes, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I uh, make your enemies your footstool. And it's a reflection really by David upon the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. Um, and so if you were to uh, maybe go to that psalm, you didn't know anything about the New Testament, um, I don't know if you would know Psalm 110 is prophetic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how prophetic David knew it was. Uh, like I would suggest uh, whoever or whoever David, right. And, you know, I believe David probably wrote it, but you know, there, even if someone else wrote that Psalm, yeah. um, I think David, when he's looking forward to this Davidic King, um, he thinks of second Samuel seven. I think it's very possible. He thought Solomon was going to fulfill this role that God promised in second Samuel seven, where all the nations of the earth would be underneath him. Um, but that's not how it turned out. Mm. God had a grander story in mind. And so, and, and, and so that's, that's not so, even as you're reading hermeneutic and reading prophecy, um, prophecy is not dependent on the author knowing that he's writing prophecy, mm-hmm. um, right? Or it's not dependent on the author knowing how that prophecy or what he was writing, how that was going to be fulfilled. Yeah. This is where divine authorship comes in because yeah. God was directing this. And, and so, and the New Testament writers, they go back and they look at these texts and they begin to see wait, God was telling a bigger story here that we didn't know until the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so there, there again, you see diversity within scripture, but then you see the divine author come in. And as you said, all interconnected. It, it, it is in some sense, there is this larger framework where the scripture is telling a bigger story. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, Dre, I, I would ask this. Is there is there a danger at all with um what what are maybe some like uh, let me say this inappropriate uses of okay I'm going to argue that scripture is telling one sto- um one story is there ways where if I hold to that or if I what are ways I maybe can misunderstand it and yeah. get in a little bit of trouble yeah um, so I think I think what happens um. In most circles of the church, what we do is we end up teaching people not scripture. We don't actually end up teaching people the story. We end up teaching people theology. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think that what I see a lot in a lot of Bible studies and a lot of things is is we have our points. We have our applications, probably not even maybe not even theology, but just these application points, right? The thou shalt and the shalt thou shalt nots, and we take those points that we've been taught, and I think they're probably true. I think most of them are, are, are right on. 
but we take them and then, then we're given a Bible study or a lesson, or we go to a sermon and it's kind of like, or maybe, maybe we're doing what we've been asked to do. And we've been reading our Bibles on our own. And so we start looking through the pages of, of the Bible and we flip from one page to the next page. And on every page, we're looking for that truth that we know. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so now all of a sudden I might find that truth. Um, let's pick, let's pick Joshua, right? Be strong and courageous, right? Ah, oh, you know, yeah. God has told me not to fear. I know do not fear is a commandment in the Bible. And so now I've, I picked up this passage and, and I need to be strong and courageous. And so God today, will you help me be strong? And so we carry on with our day and that's kind of the mm-hmm. extent of our Bible study. Um, what that's doing is that's, that's eisegeting. Um, it, it, I don't mm-hmm. think it, I don't think it's wrong. I, I don't want to, if that's, if that's your rhythm and that's how you spend time with God, um, don't hear me bashing you, but I do want to say mm-hmm. that what you've done is you've taken this very, very, uh, vanilla message. You've taken this very vanilla understanding of what Christianity is, and you're just importing it onto these ancient texts. Instead, whenever you read Joshua in its full context, you understand what Joshua is doing and how Joshua is doing something different in the story that's connected with everything. Mm-hmm. You can start understanding the the diversity there and you can start realizing how does this diversity actually enhance and deepen the the plot or deepen the reality that is the meta narrative. And so now I now I have mm-hmm. a better understanding and that's going to give me more richness in my spiritual life. That's going to give me more richness in my understanding of what God is doing in redemptive history um, rather mm-hmm. than just this simple little reading. And so I think that's that maybe is the, more of an illustration. I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but I wanted to kind of illustrate what happens whenever, you know, we just have the same message. I think what pops out is you end up saying the same thing. And after years of being a Christian, you'll get bored with it and you'll start saying, oh, I've heard that. It's what happens at Christmas. It's what happens at Easter. You hear the same story Mm -hmm. over and over again and you start realizing there's only one story and this is it. Um, Yes, there's only one story. Yes, Christ is at the center of scripture, um, but but there's so much more depth. God is a good communicator. He's a good artist. He's um, I would argue he's the best communicator. And so he uses a richness, a wealth of ways to communicate to us. That I think often we just sidelines and I think it just, you know, it's kind of like eating ramen noodles every day whenever you could be having steak and potatoes. You know, does that make sense? I think that's, I don't want to bash, bash what's happened in the church, but I think there's a, I don't know if I'd say it's a danger, but it's definitely a disability. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll give another example of what you're talking about. And then I do uh, eventually want to pivot to, um, because one of the main ways, if we're going to talk about reading the Bible as one story, the most common thing to say is, well, the Bible is a story of Jesus. Yeah. Um, the yeah. whole thing. And so it's, I, I do it's want to God's love letter to you. <laughs> that's what yeah. I was talking about. Or, yeah, you, you, that's, I, I think that's almost even different than you'd say it's a story of Jesus. You're yeah. saying this is God's. So those are like two, even two different things. But I, I want to get to that in a second. But um, let me bring up another example here. Um, this is actually, I, I preached a sermon uh, it was a couple of weeks ago at a, at a church, a uh, smaller church. Um, near us, I was uh, filling in for uh, filling in for somebody, and uh, I was asked to preach on uh, Psalm 33, and I was in verses 10 through 12 specifically. Um, and uh, so this is this is a very familiar passage. This is the passage that in verse 12 it says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage." Now, I've heard sermons on this and i've heard people talk about this and we almost uh, we americanize this first right so we say well blessed are we when our when god is our lord and, and we almost make psalm 33 purely about america needs to make sure god is leading them and and what i what i said in the sermon was i was like look 
there's nothing wrong with, yes, we should pray for our leaders. We yeah. should pray that we follow godly principles. We should pray that our nation is governed by biblical principles. Of course we should. But you need to realize that's not what Psalm 33 is exactly saying. Mm. Psalm 33 is reflecting on Israel's place as God's chosen people. Yeah. So the psalmist is reflecting specifically on how blessed Israel is that Yahweh is their God. Um, and he mentions that they are a people whom he has chosen for his heritage. It's it's a full reflection on Israel's place as the chosen people of God. Now, yeah. if you want to connect this to a larger biblical story, I think you could go to um, uh, First Peter, Second Peter two. Um, I'm I just completely blanked on the path on whether it's First Peter or Second Peter. Um, but where Peter says, "You are a chosen race, a mm-hmm. royal priesthood, a holy nation." redefine these people of God where the Gentiles have been engrafted now yeah. into the people of God. Um, uh, that now, what? so how do I read Psalm 33 yeah. for me? Well, better than saying, oh, you know, we need to be blessed. We're blessed. America is blessed if God is our Lord. Yeah. I think that you should be reading it as you are part of the people of God by being a part of the church as in Christ, you are part of God's people. So blessed are you because God is your Lord. Um, If you want to make a more New Testament application, um, again, and I'm not making a statement about, I don't think God's done with the nation of Israel either. So I'm not trying to get into this. I'm not saying the church has replaced Israel as the people of God, but there is a sense in which uh, Gentiles have been engrafted into this people and, um, and that the church does in many way occupies a place as the people occupies a place as the people of God. Mm. And, and so this is how we read this passage. And this, this is really what it means for me. Um, this is what it meant then, but this is again, how the story unfolds from beyond Psalm 33. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? And kind of how the read this passage also, this is another example, reading this passage in context, understanding yeah. what it's saying, but then understanding how is the biblical story unfolding? Yeah. Yeah. And so really this idea, I think, I think you're hitting on it is, it, I don't think it's an issue about, about Christian truth or even what you've been taught. I think for a long time, I thought, I felt like I was lied to um, whenever I was taught how to read the Bible, whenever I started seeing mm-hmm. the nuances of these stories. I mean, I agree that, I mean, we are, we are God's people, right? That God, God invites me to be in relationship with them. That is a truth. Right. Um, but when I'm reading, when I'm reading, you know, for example, let's just take first and second Peter. Um, I hold that those are written to a, a, a Jewish audience. Um, I, I don't mm-hmm. think they're for Gentiles. So those letters are not written to talk about truths that are Jews. And, and most of the Bible is for Jews. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, there's, there's right. some of it that's for Gentiles. And I love those letters because those ones I can really, really apply really quickly. Uh, the right. ones that are to Jews. And what, what that does is it, whenever I read my Bible and if I don't understand the, the, the diversity in these stories, if I don't understand that there's these nuances, that there's these sub stories in the main story, if I, if I can't go to that secondary level or third level, then I'm going to end up being way confused. I'm going to end up having so many more questions about the Bible. I'm going to end up being frustrated because I'm going to say, oh, wait, is this passage for, for me or for not for me? Or, or do I apply this or do I not apply this? And how do we deal with all these different rules? And, um, you know, do I wear multiple clothings? Can I get a tattoo or can I not? Um, mm-hmm. When I don't understand that, it's going to cause confusion. So maybe it's so much not an issue of, of what Christianity, the core of Christianity. I don't think it's about the center message. I think the center message is, is the same story throughout the Bible, right? That we are saved by faith mm-hmm. through grace in Christ. Salvation is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. That has not changed. 
but the mm-hmm. way the story happens in different people's lives in different eras or economies, it does change. Um, and, and, yeah. and God is doing things. And, and what that does is it gives me a richness for growth. It gives me a, a way to know mm-hmm. more about God and more about myself. And that's what, that's mm-hmm. what Christianity is about. It's learning more about myself and learning more about God and, and entering into that relationship. Um, it's mm-hmm. like me and my wife, I'm learning more about her. And so I, that's how you have growth. And I think we cut off growth whenever we treat the Bible this way. So I, I wouldn't say it's wrong. I don't want to put people down. There's a lot of simplistic faith out there that's genuine. Uh, but I think it's what the author of Hebrews says, like, hey, this is baby stuff. Um, right. you know, I, I can't even talk to you about Melchizedek because you're not ready for it because you haven't even gotten the basics. And then he goes on to talk about Melchizedek. <laughs> but, right. you, yeah. you know, I yeah. think it's that kind of a thing um, that I really think the church is suffering with. And so I think this question kind of gets at the heart of that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, let's return to this question of uh, we're looking at the bigger story, uh, specifically where, you know, we say that um, the Bible is the story of Jesus yeah, um, yeah. from creation all the way to Revelation. It's the story of Jesus. Um, is there such a thing as um, overdoing it uh, in reading Christ into the Old Testament? Are there times where you think we 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 read Jesus into the Old Testament way too easily. Yeah. Uh, so Jesus on the Emmaus road, right? Talking with, uh, with some people and he's, and he's talking about himself, right? And he, he begins mm-hmm. to reveal himself in all of scripture. Um, right. And I wonder what is the all of scripture? Is Jesus going through verse by verse in all mm-hmm. of the Old Testament Telling, here's where I'm at in this verse. Here's where I'm at in this verse. Or is it is it word yeah. by word? Here's where this word points to me. Or is it, maybe it's paragraph right. by paragraph. Um, well, I don't think that walk lasted too terribly long. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Uh-huh. And, and so, so here's, here's where I've kind of come to in my, where I'm at. And you can disagree. People can disagree. But here's where I'm at. I think what Jesus does on Emmaus Road is I think he I think he talks about the meta narrative. I think he talks about the general thrust. I think he talks about this weave that's happening throughout Scripture. I don't think he's necessarily going um, into the fine details um, of the of numbers and saying, "See, here's where I'm at in number." You know, I think what he's doing is mm-hmm. he's hitting on some maybe maybe some key passages, maybe some key points, um, but maybe he's talking about a, a, a kind of the, the general direction. So I don't hold that all Scripture is Christocentric. So that means that I don't read every scripture and try to force Christ into it. Um, I don't think every pericope even is forcing Christ. I read it as Christotelic. Um, And so telic Mm -hmm. means purpose. So Christ's purpose that every scripture is pointing to the person and work of Christ in some way or form, but not all are equal, not all are the same. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm reading numbers and I'm looking at the setup of the camp is like a war zone, right? Then I can talk about why is that important for Israel? Well, because Israel is getting to fulfill the promise and the promise is ultimately going to Christ. And so I kind of connect it that way. Um, I don't think every passage you can find Jesus dying for your sins and rising from the dead. Um, (laughs) And yet a lot, but a lot of pastors like you got to end every sermon with that. I'm like, well, I will, if the text goes there, Um, I do think we should be saying the gospel all the time, but I don't think it, I don't think you have to hit the main point like that in every text. I think that's, I think that's eisegeting. Um, Yeah. And I think that's, I think that, I think that in some senses that confuses people because they're like, wait, where's that in this text? If you're trying to force it in. Um, mm-hmm. so there's, there's my kind of spiel on it. What do you got to say about that? I, I brought, I mean, I, I generally agree, uh, with that sentiment. I, I, I think we almost work too hard in reading Jesus into every single passage. And I don't think that that's, 
you know, my view on the usefulness of the Old Testament, um, you know, it's not like hindered if I can't read Jesus in every passage, right? Mm. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes the Old Testament, you know, it's like the book of Judges. Uh, <laughs> it, it's interesting. Um, uh, the Young Marrieds class here uh, that my wife and I are a part of, um, they're going through a study of Judges. And look, there are some stories in Judges like, I mean, when Jail... You know, she nails uh, Sisera's head to the ground with a tent spike. I don't think I need to read, you know, Jesus into that text. Yeah, I mean, Jesus getting a, it's nailed hit. into his hands, just like yeah. that. That's a, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, which I've never. By the way, I've never heard anyone do that. But <laughs> you know, that would be the that that would be pretty ludicrous if that actually happened. But you know, again, that the, the the scripture is not really telling a story there. Now, I think the larger story of Judges is yeah. God's continued. Cute faithfulness um, to a people who are consistently rebelling against him. And it's a story of what happens when people, when God's people reject him and God is absent, which is a lot of, I think even like the story of, um, there's some just really gruesome stories in the book of Judges yeah. um, where that I think is really the overall point where, you know, people even look at Judges and yeah. in some places like, why is God silent there? And yeah. But I remember hearing a paper at ETS a couple of years ago where um, it was a professor from Trinity Divinity School. She's an Old Testament professor. And she was talking about the silence of God is deafening there. In other mm. words, he's saying when people, re- when God's people reject him and push him away, mm-hmm. those who end up being hurt are the vulnerable, are the innocent. Um, and it just shows how awful it is when God's people reject him. Yeah. Um, and when Israel rejects God, how bad things get. And, yeah. and, but again, this so this is this is the point that a lot of judges is making. But it, you know, I don't know if it's directly making a point about Jesus. Yeah, right. But but uh, it, but it's connecting to the worldview that Jesus comes to fix, right? Because the book, yes, book of Judges right. is the one of the darkest periods in history. And so mm-hmm. whenever you whenever you whenever you experience darkness, what do you begin to do? You begin to look for the light. And so some passages mm. are about the darkness. Some are about the light. Mm. So in that sense, it is about Jesus because he's coming right. to solve this problem, but it's in a very tangential, you know, telic, you know, purposeful way, yeah. but it's not so yeah. much that Christ is right there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that I, I affirm every scripture. You've not properly read scripture until it leads you to the person and work of Christ. Yes, but right. but that leading doesn't mean that he's that you're seeing him right there in it. Um, yeah, that leading doesn't mean whenever the angel of the Lord shows up, we think it's Jesus every time. <laughs> that's or right. That leading that leading doesn't mean uh, when there's a fourth in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. it has to be Jesus there. Yeah, um, it, that's not necessarily required, and it's not necessarily what all these scriptures are exactly trying to say but i would agree um in the sense that again as god since god is the divine author um he is using the stories in scripture to point um to the need i mean leviticus the levitical law points to the need of sacrifice it points to the need of for 15 people yes the people will fail to keep god's law and there's going to need to be um a sacrifice of redemption of rec- a way for God's people to be reconciled back to him. And so it's pointing to that, which then ultimately leads you to Jesus. And so um, I-, I think that's kind of what you're saying there yeah. with scripture pointing to yeah. uh, the story of Jesus. Absolutely. 
Well, James, we're almost out of time, so let me close with a with a saying that my favorite professor uh, always told me when it came to this issue. And here's what he said. He said, right at the beginning of class, um, of, of our uh, one of our BE classes, where we walk through all of the stories of the Bible, and he said, students, I want you to realize this, that God is telling the same story over and over and over and over again. But he said, students, he's just too creative to tell the same story twice. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's what you get. I think that you really do have this one story in scripture. I think it's there. I think it's the story that we know that we are messed up and God is good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Christ is at the center of that. And once Christ comes on the scene, he is the, the, the unmistakable part that has to be understood in every element of scripture. It has to be there, but it's, but it's always been there and it's, it is the same story, but God is so creative. He's so, uh, diverse. He is so brilliant uh, that we have a richness that you can spend the rest of your life uncovering mm. in these books and in these texts and in your life too. Cause it's not just in scripture. God has revealed himself in so many ways. And, um, mm-hmm. and so in a way we all get to read each other's stories and we all get to read uh, the stories around us and we can find uh, this meta narrative happening. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we just become boring. It doesn't mean we come dry with our faith. Um, God has given us a world to explore him. And, and it's kind of like he's let us free his kids to say, go out and enjoy the creativity. You know, that's part of at the center yeah. of God. What do you want to close us with, James? Any other thoughts? Yeah, just, build, just building off of that, you know, if I'm going to say what's the bigger, what is the meta narrative of scripture? Uh, the gospel is a meta narrative from creation yes. to new creation with Christ at the center. Yep. Right. Um, so, so that's your, that's your meta narrative going on. And uh, Dre, just as you said, let's not limit the creativity of God and how he's telling that story. Mm. Um, we know the major points. Um, we know the overall things that we see pop up time and time again in scripture. Yes. Christ is the key to understanding it all. Um, but again, let, let's not, let's not limit um, how God tells the story. Let's not be overly too overly simplistic about it. Um, let's let's teach and understand a clear gospel while at the same time digging deeper into the ultimate intricacies of Scripture of the story that God continues to tell. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, James. Uh, I love it. I think I think it's a good challenge. There's a lot of issues that can come out of this question. A lot of scholarship. A lot of really big, important theological. Uh, divisions that come out of how you talk about yeah, this too. So right. hopefully an introduction today, but hopefully a reminder um, of of this 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 amazing story that we can do, and hopefully just an encouragement to say if you think you've heard it all, you haven't. You know, there's so much to it. Right. So I think even from our ETS conversation to this one, good reminder today uh, that there's so much growth, so much uh, more to God's world, um, and we get to enjoy it. So, all right, James, yeah, close awesome. us out. Yeah, thank you again, all as always, uh, for listening. Um, we're sorry we had to take a couple weeks off for those of y'all who've been keeping up. But um, yeah, just thank you for tuning in. We know there, you know, there are a ton of podcasts you can be listening to. Um, so we appreciate you spending some time um, listening to us. We hope it is helpful. It helps you grow in your faith. As always, um, you know, again, we we record this podcast. Um, not just not really for ourselves, but for others. And so um, if you have a question that you would like for us to talk about, uh, please feel free to send us a question. You can do this a couple ways. You can follow us on Facebook at Good Theological Thursday and message us through that page. Or you can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. You can also, uh, if you have time and you have not done it, uh, we encourage you to leave a rating or review if you enjoy the show. 
Uh, we always appreciate that. And if you have a friend in your life, someone in your life that you think would benefit um, from listening to this dialogue and listening to this podcast, we'd encourage you to show it to a friend. Dre, why don't you close this out? Tell everyone what we're going to talk about next week. Yes, thanks again for listening. Join us next week. Uh, James, let's talk about yoga next week. How about that? Sound nice. good? I like it. Let's do it. Yep. Should Christians do yoga? Join us next Thursday for that conversation. And until then, have a good Theological Thursday. See y'all. See ya. See ya.